everybody. This is Dan Horn, a writer at the Comic Book Bin. Um, this is our podcast for March 8th, 2012. Uh, with me today is um, Editor-in-Chief of the Comic Book Bin, Hervé Saint-Louis. And our special guest this week is Jim Zub, um, Chief of Udon, and also the writer-creator of Skull Kickers, um, a great uh, image uh, fantasy series. Um, go ahead and say hi, guys. Hi. Hey, how's it going? Good. So, uh, Jim, uh, I guess uh, we should start off by saying um, Skull Kickers is coming back uh, next month with a new um, uh, storyline uh, with issue 13. Yeah, um, we've got a new story arc coming out we're really pumped about. Yeah, I can't wait to, to be back uh, with new issues, i got to tell you. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, so it is a six-shooter on the seven seas. I was recently reading over the solicitation mode for issue 14, which comes out in May, and I am intrigued, sir. <laughs> yeah, we've got a lot, of, a lot of stuff we've been building towards. I think um, when, for anyone who hasn't read Skull Kickers before, essentially uh, it's sort of like this Gonzo buddy cop movie meets Conan the Barbarian. So it's big yeah. action, big fantasy, and over the top. That's kind of been our, our thing all along. And uh, the, the issues definitely have this kind of gonzo feel, kind of crazy, almost, they can feel almost random at times because the action is so wild. But there is a plan, and I think with this third story, people are going to start realizing that we've actually been sort of peppering in all sorts of little secrets that we're now going to start paying off with this third story arc. So I, I'm really pumped on multiple levels for that. Yeah, uh, as a fan of the series, I, I love how it seemed to merely function as... Um, an epic fantasy that filled that badass niche <laughs> that I, a lot of that a lot of epic fantasies kind of uh, miss, I guess you know. Uh, sure. <laughs> but uh, it does function also as a as a, a, a comic book serial as well, which is um, you know great because it keeps me coming back for more. <laughs> yeah, and I think now that, uh, like I said, with this new arc where we're going to start unveiling a little bit more of kind of the bigger story and some of the things that we've been uh, kind of secretly putting in there, I think people are going to be a little bit surprised in terms of the, some of the bigger ideas and some of the stuff that, that they may not have noticed before uh, as they've been reading the series. It's just yeah. been a real joy to, just a real joy to put together. Everyone uh, involved with the series has been, it's been great. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, um, I guess another thing about Skull Kickers is it, it might be one of the most consistently uh, gorgeous books on the market right now. Um, wow. Yeah, Edwin uh, Huang yep. uh, is an amazing illustrator. And, um, well, you're, you're a, a, a talented artist as well, correct? Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, it's funny. I started at the Udon Studio as an artist. This was in 2003. And then slowly but surely kind of moved into more of a managerial role and uh, and eventually a writing role, which is something that I've always wanted to do. And now, you know, being able to spin that out and do more projects and team up with amazing artists, I think it's been just really gratifying, incredibly uh, gratifying right from the get-go. So. How did the uh, relationship between you and uh, Edwin begin? It's really weird, actually. Uh, Edwin is a really, I mean, he's a, he's a young kid. He's, he's only 23 now. He was 22 when we first started working together on Skull Kickers. Hmm. And so um, he actually applied to the Udon studio as an artist trying to get work. 
and uh, we didn't have any openings at the studio. But I actually thought his portfolio was really strong. And without trying to sound mean, like we see a lot of portfolios at the studio, yeah. and a lot of them are really low quality. A lot of them are, are they don't have the chops. And so you see something strong, you know, you want you want someone to know this stuff's actually decent. Hey, you could make a living at this. This is this is solid <laughs> stuff. Especially at his age, you know, he's 22 at the time. And I thought, geez, you know, you're you're going to grow. This is solid stuff. I don't have anything. Uh, you know, we're not looking to hire right now. But to be totally honest, you've got the chops. You could do this. And so we just started up a kind of an email chain back and forth about around that, just talking about things he could do to improve his portfolio or, and ways he could, you know, kind of strengthen his work. And then from there, uh, that just turned into, um, you know, him saying, well, I, I need to practice. I need to do more sequential pages. The, the, you know, the more I do, the better I'm going to be at it. And I, one of the critiques I had for him was the fact that he wasn't leaving a lot of room for dialogue on his pages. I said, well, what, <laughs> you know, what script are you working from? He said, I'm not working from a script at all. I'm just doing yeah. pages on my own. He said, well, do you have a script I can work from? And I, I, I had this uh, fantasy concept for Skull Kickers, originally attached with another artist named Chris Stevens, and Chris wasn't able to do the series. Um, and I said, well, you can, I mean, you can draw this for practice. And I thought he was just going to do it as a portfolio, you know, building exercise. And the pages looked awesome. And I thought, oh, man, I, I really want him to do this, actually. Now I'd love for him to be the artist on the book. And I was trying to figure out a way to kind of, come around to bringing, you know, bringing this up to him and saying, you know, these pages are great. I would love to get you on the book. And then he finished up penciling a, a bunch of pages and said, you know, if you want me to draw this book, I'd be up for it. And it was just perfect timing. I said, well, that's exactly what I was going to try and get you to do. So, okay, great. And we've been a team ever since. So it's been a, just an absolute joy. That's awesome how that worked out. Yeah. Um, totally. And now the funny part is, is that he's now freelancing at the Udon studio because we did have an opening. And he's proven himself more, you know, more and more on the Skull Kickers book. So he got what he wanted in the end too. So it's all worked out for the best. Well, that's a that's an excellent segue. I kind of wanted to talk about Udon. Um, if you could uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Udon Studios and um, kind of, uh, you know, what <laughs> what exactly is uh, their mission statement and what do you guys do and how exactly did you? Did you get linked up with uh, Image Comics? Sure. So, well, um, Udon is a was an art studio. They're now an art studio and a book publisher. So, Udon's um, you know sort of mandate was originally just a group of of like minded friends and artists who were working together. This is back in two thousand. So, I didn't come on board uh, until two thousand three. But okay. but the same thing still holds true. So the studio started off as a, a creative services studio. They were doing uh, illustration, advertising artwork, um, all kinds of different uh, work for hire kind of project stuff. And eventually, you know, the relationships that they built up at different comic book companies and toy companies and video game companies, they sort of spun off and started doing their own comics. Uh, most people know them from the Street Fighter books. Yeah. That they've yeah. With yep. I used to know them a lot. Yeah, and that's where a lot of people kind of have saw their work or interacted with it for the first time. Uh, but before that, they've done a bunch of they did um, a bunch of Marvel books like Agent X and Deadpool. They did um, the Marvel some of the Marvel Mangaverse stuff. They did uh, fill in issues on a bunch of different Marvel books. They did Robotech, uh, Thundercats, all kinds of different series for different publishers. Um, 
but uh, so the the Udon studio now uh, has a full blown sort of publishing arm, which does art books and original comics and translated manga and things like that, and uh, as well as the Street Fighter comics. And then they also um, have still the creative services, which is kind of my department where I organize teams to do artwork, whether that's concept art or advertising art or um, special projects for clients for video games, movies, toys, all kinds of stuff. And we've worked on tons of productions where most people don't even know we've been involved because, you know, we're just doing artwork on the on a smaller part of the production. So, but like movie-wise, we've been involved with movies like Inception or oh, Clash wow. of Titans. Uh, we've done stuff for uh, Sucker Punch. We did stuff for... Um, you know, video games, obviously, Street Fighter and, and uh, Capcom-related stuff. We've also done work on, like, World of Warcraft and all kinds of different titles over the years. Uh, so, yeah, it's just been a really great... The, the experience is really varied, and, and every week there's a new, you know, series of challenges because you're working on so many different projects with so many different clients. And I really enjoy it. I love the, the variety, and I love that you kind of never know what you're going to get next, which is, you know, intimidating, but it, but it keeps it exciting, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, you were at uh, Image Expo recently, correct? Yeah, yeah. And do you want to tell us a little bit about that, uh, that experience? Sure. I mean, it, it's kind of surreal because, you know, Image started when I was 15 years old, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, you know, I picked up all the books just like everyone else. And, and mm. to now be involved, you know, even on a very tiny level with images, it's, it's a thrill. It's very cool. And they've been very kind and, uh, supportive. And yeah, it's just a great, the company, you know, has changed in so many ways tonally. And yet at the heart, they're still doing the same kind of thing, which is empowering creators to create the kind of books that they want to create. And I think that exactly. that really what, what their legacy is, you know, above yeah. and beyond individual creations or individual creators. That's really what they are, and uh, it's yeah, it's in incredibly uh, gratifying to see that the company has grown, that the company is still doing what they set out to do, only now on such a broader level in terms of style and in terms of content, in in ways that I don't think any of us could have imagined twenty years ago. Exactly. Yeah, I've uh, I've made it my personal mission. Uh, Herbie knows. <laughs> yes. Uh, to to start. <laughs> Covering more image stuff because uh, the only way I can put it is that it's like a it's a creator owned uh, renaissance right now. It is. It, 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 is, it, it, it is. It really is. And I kind of get the feeling that maybe it's kind of like a, a fraternity over at a you know image of uh, you know free minded artists and writers. Um, like what, what's what's the atmosphere? Um, I know you guys probably don't work together one on one, but when you're when you're at an event like the uh, the expo, is it kind of like you know, you guys look at each other and go, yeah, we're we're kind of changing the medium. <laughs> well, it's kind of freaky because, you know, on some levels, uh, you don't get to see these people, you know, uh, very yeah. often. Like, even when you go to shows, everyone's so busy kind of doing their own thing. I think what yeah. made Expo really unique was the fact that the mission was all around, hey, this is Image's show. And so in the evenings, there was a lot more of the social, uh, which felt great. And there was a lot more of that that camaraderie that I, that I've ever felt before in, in, in the best kind of way. And that feeling of, Hey, we're on the right path. Things, you know, regardless of, of, you know, the creator owned books are financially, it's a difficult thing to do. It's very difficult to pull to, 
pull together a book that's going to be consistently profitable in this market, and no one knows what the next hit's going to be, you know. And so the idea is sort of, but the key here is that you're making a book that you love, and you're making a book that, you know, is is doing well in terms of it's uh, received well and it's growing and you're doing putting yourself out there. I think that's really the most important part, and that's I think what people are responding to emotionally. You know, um, with with some of the big two books, you can see some really great stuff out there, but you also see stuff that feels very workmanlike, where it's yeah. just getting put out because it has to be put out because there's yep. a commercial baseline of expectation. And with the image stuff, you don't you don't see that these books are all being built because of someone's unique desire to create that particular thing. Even if you don't like it, even if it's not to your taste, you can see the inspiration or the 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 love of what's being put into it. And I think that you can't replace that. That's an incredibly powerful thing for people to experience. Yeah, I think I think we talked about that with um, Rob Anderson when he was on. Is that I, I said. You know, when you read a book, um, creator-owned book, you can. It feels like that creator is like a starving artist. You know, like (laughs) this is something that they're. You know, it's not work for hire. It's something that they're putting out there because it's a labor of love. You know. Oh, it is, and and, you know, the finances on most of these books. To be totally honest with you, it is a labor of love. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this side of Kirkman, you're not you're not seeing that kind of monetary return on the majority of these books. You know. Mm -hmm. Uh, so when you're buying the book and when you like it, like these guys really are doing it because this is the book they've always wanted to do, or this is the the book that they need to do that they've got to get out of their system. And, and I think that's amazing. You know, that's just, it's inspiring and it's exciting. And I, and I think that, uh, people can feel that. Um, Zach Edwards wrote, wrote an article a couple of months ago about how a lot of creators now uh, just went to image and just bypassed their creator imprint at both DC and Marvel. Um, do you know anything about that? Like, was he just maybe speculating or is it really happening? Right now? Well, I mean, look at some of those announcements from image expo, right? So they've got Grant yeah. Morrison doing his new book. They've got Ed Brubaker, you know, Brian K. Vaughn, these guys, yep. it's not like, I don't think DC and Marvel would have turned away their own books. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, I don't think it's speculation at all. I think it's really happening. There's a there's a sense of synergy that Image has got uh, an actual brand of quality creator-owned material coming out where people feel like this is where you need to have your book to make it make a splash, you know, which is what you, of course, really... And the, the idea, of course, being that if there's a Grant Morrison book and there's all these other books, you know, obviously we hope the rising ship, you know, rising waters raise all ships. So it's like, I hope Skull Kickers benefits from that. I hope we all benefit from people paying more attention and stores ordering more creator-owned books because they realize these are not just viable, not just a niche, but these are the future of comics. The new ideas is how the Marvel age of comics happen. You know, any of these things happen because of new creators with new ideas. And, it, and you will find some of those at Marvel and DC, but you'll find more and more of them at, you know, places like Image, places like Oni, places where they're doing creator-owned books, where people are left unfettered to to generate this stuff. Yeah, that's something that I wanted to ask you about, too, is um, you always hear about editorial interference with the big two. Is there any sort of, uh, you know, editorial interference with Image, or 
Are you pretty much none? So I'll tell you that it was one editorial note, uh, and I can tell you exactly what it is because I will never forget. And so what it was, uh, issue seven of Skull Kickers has the two uh, monster mashing morons on there, and we do this thing where the first issue of every arc we have them standing sort of at attention, like that's been sort of our thing, and um, they're dressed as nobles on the cover of issue seven. Yep. And the big guy was in the rough version was giving the finger. <laughs> and I thought it was funny and great. And yeah. cool, let's go for it. And it was the first time I ever got an editorial note and they didn't tell me to change it. All they said to me was, look, right now your book is solicited as a teen 12 plus book. If you haven't <laughs> wow. seen the bird, mm-hmm. it will be a 16 plus book. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But just is that joke worth it? Is, is literally having the bird flipped on the cover worth raising your rating to the next level? Mm-hmm. You, is that what you want? And I said, well, no, that's just a throwaway. It's, it's pointless. You know, I like having the book 12 plus. I like that we skirt that line of, of, you know, teen. We, that's why we have the swearing for the symbols and we don't have sexual content and all this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's been a very intentional choice that I wanted to write a book that 12 year old me that played Dungeons and Dragons would have <laughs> lost their mind to read that this would have been pure sugar. Yeah, and exactly. to have that go away just because I want to have the big guy flipping the bird, well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> and that's the only editorial note they've ever given me. But that's awesome because it's it's not intercession, it's guidance, you know? It's yeah, not a... It's uh, communication, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's awesome. Uh, I'm glad to hear that. Because, uh, I, like you said, it, you know, Grant Morrison, uh, coming to Image is huge. Absolutely. And I really, hope, I really hope that that does lead, uh, you know, more readers to that maybe haven't uh, picked up an image comic in years, you know, they go, they can go into their store and pick up an image comic. And I think once you crack open a book like Skull Kickers or uh, Brandon Graham's um, King City or James Stokoe's Workstain, your mind is, your mind is about to be blown because it's unlike, it's like unlike anything you've ever seen come out of the big two, you know, it's, I think think what makes me, I, I don't mean this to be mean, but I think it makes me sad that that's the case that, that you're not seeing books that are easy to pick up and easy to jump into with mm-hmm. really core, simple concepts coming mm-hmm. from the biggest publishers in the industry. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. You know, when I, you've got these massive, massive brands and you've got these massive companies. Why shouldn't they have the most easy access, you know, new reader-friendly books? It shouldn't be about creator-owned books. Creator-owned books should be the crazy, insular, artsy <laughs> books. Why, yeah. why, you know, why does Red 5 have to publish uh, Atomic Robo, yeah, one of the yeah. funniest and most consistent and most easy, you know, uh, books that you can give to anyone and they'll become a fan? That mm-hmm. should be the book that Marvel and DC are publishing. That should be the type of content that they used to publish in their, when they started, you know what I mean? When they were publishing superhero books that everyone loved and everyone recognized and everyone could pick up and you didn't feel like you were slamming your face into 30 years worth of continuity. <laughs> yeah, I agree, man. So what are you, uh, what are you reading these days? Uh, shockingly, I'm reading a lot of critter on books. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I read a little bit of everything, honestly. I like, and it's not like I have anything against the big two. I don't at all. And I'm more than happy to be, uh, I've done some work that's going to be coming out down the pipe, which hasn't been announced yet. Like I'm, Totally oh, nice. cool with 
with what's going on in the, in, in the industry as far as the characters and the concepts. But I am reading a lot of creator-owned books, I'll be totally honest. Uh, I'm reading some of the New 52. I'm reading uh, a little bit of everything. Um, I love uh, I love Atomic Robo. I love uh, Lock and Key. I think yes. Lock and Key is absolutely phenomenal. It's like a book where every time I read a new issue, I go, oh, if I could, my book could be half as good as this, I will, you know, I'll be getting somewhere. Uh, well, that's yeah, like that, apples and oranges, man, you know? <laughs> oh, no, well, I'm not, and I'm not saying, like, I want to write that kind of book, but just yeah, to yeah. affect people, you know, to, to have that kind of... But here's the thing, like, um, Skull Kickers isn't the only, you know, kind of book that I want to write or the only type mm-hmm. of subject matter that I want to do. Like, I'm doing an original yeah. graphic novel at Udon, that's got a totally different vibe than uh, than Skull Kickers, which is Great. I'm really excited about. But but anyways, uh, getting back to stuff I'm reading, uh, I'm reading. Um, well, I just reread King City because the trade just came out, <laughs> yeah. you know, which is just amazing. Um, I'm reading. Uh, um, well, I was reading Green Wake, and now the series has ended. It makes me incredibly sad. Yeah, Green um, that was man. That was a mind blowing. What happened? Uh, comic book. What happened to that series? Uh, uh, it's just the sales weren't high enough, so oh. Curtis and, and um, Riley uh, moved on to other projects, but they want to team up on other things. So you know, well, Curtis, Curtis has a, a ton of books at Image right now. It's oh, almost yeah. like <laughs> I don't know how he does it, man. <laughs> uh, well, he is. He's been. I, I, it's almost like um, I, I'll tell you. I, I feel similar sometimes in the way that. Once you have something that works and, and the fear is taken away that you can create, like even though Green Wake didn't sell as well as they wanted it to in the end, but the idea that people really liked it and that he can write a strong story and that he's a capable creator, it yeah. frees you. It gives you this strength to go, I, my ideas are worthy. I can do this and, uh, I'm going to do, I'm going to do all of it. I mean, all these ideas that I've been meaning to do all these years, that's mm-hmm. kind of the feeling that you get when you talk to, to, uh, Curtis, where he's he's finally kind of jumped in with both feet, and he's just trying to create and create and create, and that's awesome. You know, I feel sort of the same way, and that now that you know I've got Skull Kickers, and I'm doing uh, this, like I was saying, this book at Udon called Makeshift Miracle that I that I've been meaning to do for uh, a long time in this way, and um, I've got uh, another couple things in development, and it's just like, yeah, you get this real strong, this strength of purpose. I have stories I want to tell, That's and I will not be stopped. Like you just <laughs> you go kind of crazy, you know. Yeah, that's awesome though because it, it provides, uh, you know, for for creators that don't, um, you know, uh, label themselves as a certain thing, it, it provides a wide array of different content, you know. Oh, totally. And and here's the thing too, right? You know, as much as. Um, the toughest thing is getting getting a big a book picked up. So, well, if you've got a book and you've been doing stuff at Image and, and Image likes what you're doing, obviously it's a hell of a lot easier to pitch, you know, to Eric Stevenson once he knows who you are and once he knows, hey, these guys deliver and they've got good content and you know people know their name. That's going to be a heck of a lot of an, it's an easier sell all the way across. Like it's not like Brian K. Vaughn's in the slush pile, right? So. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the nice thing is, is that feeling of, you know, when you go to Image Expo and you're talking to people and they're, they're not just liking your book, but they're like, hey, when, what else have you got? When are you going to send us more? Like, that's um, great. Let's do more stuff. Let's yeah. make more cool books together, you know? But, yeah, it's, 
the crazy thing is it almost seems like there's a new series starting every week right now from Image, you know? <laughs> it does. I think there's a lot of pitches that were, uh, you know, sort of not mothballed, but they were kind of wait and see. And now that there's this real surge, I think everyone's sort of jumping in with both feet and going, well, now's the time. If you're going to do it, man, now's the time. Don't, <laughs> don't hold back because you're going to miss the train, you know? Uh, and that's, that's a really exciting time to feel like we're a part of all of us, I think. So for me now, it's like I go to shows. I used to, you know, wander a show or go to Artist Alley and just kind of, you know, hang out. And now I go and I'm like active. Like I want to find people to work with. I want to find the next artist that I want to pitch a book with or, you know, people that I want to, want to create stuff with. That's, that's a cool feeling. Kind of like you're uh, you're a scout, huh? Yeah, <laughs> it, feels scout. A little, it feels a little weird, right? Between the newfound <laughs> stuff and the um, and my own personal projects, I'm yeah, I'm kind of actively scouting way more than I ever imagined. But mm. but it's great, you know, because you want to find people that are that are as excited and inspired as you are, and you know, not only give yourself a chance to do more things, but give them a chance to to get their work out there. You know, one of the most seriously gratifying things you know edwin and i talk and he how thankful he is to have this opportunity and i think you're thankful man you're drawing <laughs> the, the book that i've always wanted to write i so it just becomes this weird kind of back padding party of you know you're great no you're great no you're great oh wow we're all great like this is just corny but you can't kind of help it you just sort of get excited about yeah you know, i'm excited about comics in a way that i haven't like been guys- yeah um, are, are you going to be uh, illustrating here? You said you had a, a graphic novel that's that's coming out from uh, Udon here soon. Yeah. Are you going to be illustrating that, or is uh, something else? Um, there's an artist that uh, that the head of Udon, uh, Eric Ko, uh, found when he was traveling for business. This guy named uh, Shun Hong Chan. He's a, a an artist in Hong Kong, and his artwork just knocked us both out. Like we were both absolutely blown away by the quality, and uh, it literally was something where Eric brought the artwork back and said, we have to do a project with this guy. I don't care what it is. I just want to work with this guy. And I looked at the work and I was like, me too. <laughs> and so uh, I had this story concept and uh, that I had come up with previously um, that I had drawn back in uh, 2001. And uh, Eric really liked it and said, look, why don't, why don't we take that and make it bigger and get Shun to draw it and we'll just blow it out and it'll be it'll be great and so I kind of went back to these old story notes and expanded upon it and 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 yeah it was just this really cool feeling because it's simultaneously like something old and something new you know what I mean um, mm-hmm. yeah so it's been really exciting so Udon's committed to do um, two books and if they do well then we'll do a third one but and they're just graphic novels there's no monthly issues or anything so yeah okay that's awesome man so, um, um, how is it for the the average like new creator that that wants to pitch a, a comic to Image or, or even Udon? How how does it go? How does it work? Uh, well, I can tell you the Udon stuff for sure because I'm kind of intimately involved with that. The reality is Udon's not actively looking for pitches. So okay. we have artists that have been working with the studio, some of them for ten years, and we're now sort of financially and creatively in a position where we can help them to tell the stories they've been wanting to tell, you know? And so that's kind of our mandate at this point is to work with our current internal group 
uh, of artists and kind of make sure they're happy and come up with really cool new things through them. So that's kind of the Udon thing. So there, it is creator-owned, but it's not really open submission. Okay. Uh, you know, but you've got... And I, it's nothing to be mean to anyone, but like these are guys that I've been working with for, for you know, like I said, eight to ten years, and they've been loyal and they've been amazing and they're incredibly skilled. And if, if they tell me they've got a cool idea, I trust them and let's develop it, you know. And I want them to be happy because they've been working their tail off for, for eight years or whatever. Uh, so that's kind of the first priority of Udon. If it does well and the creator-owned books start to expand, then I think they might look at, you know, some outside stuff later on. But it's not something that we're actively worrying about at this point. It's really kind of a closed system for the Udon end of things. Uh, image, Image is, you know, I'm, I'm not Eric Stevenson. I'm not the guy that does the final, you know. <laughs> Thing, but they're always looking. They they don't have any biases. Like um, obviously, they want to. If you're a seasoned creator and you're going to be a draw because of your name, they're obviously interested in working with you. But they're more than happy to publish people who this is their first major work. Like uh, Justin Jordan and Trad Moore, the guys that did uh, that are doing um, uh, Luther Strode. That was yeah. just a cold pitch. That was literally a cold pitch that was sent into Image, <laughs> and Eric Stevenson liked it, and, and away you go, you know. And that book is doing really well, and everyone's really happy with it. Mm -hmm. Great, you know. That's that's the the sort of magic of of pitching to Image for better or for worse. But the reality is, your book's got to be as good as something that Kirkman or or any of those other guys could do because that's your competition, like. Just because you're pitching it to Image, they're not gonna. Just because you've never had a book before doesn't mean they're gonna make it easy for you, or they're gonna yeah. say, "Well, it doesn't have to be as good as Brubaker," because they can get Brubaker. <laughs> Brubaker's doing a book with them, so yeah. if you have a choice between publishing Brubaker's book or your book. You better make the case for why they should publish both, because mm -hmm. he's definitely getting published. <laughs> <laughs> So that, yeah, that that series is is amazing, man. But right, speaking of speaking of Brubaker, but yeah, Fatal is absolutely awesome. Right. So if you're at Eric Stevenson and the pitch comes in from Brubaker, you know you you do it. So then when you look at the slush pile, you got to go. Well, is this going to stand up to, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff? Is this going to be in the same wheelhouse of quality as all these other books that we have on on deck? Right. Hmm. So you know, Skull Kickers. Uh, you know, came in the door and it was something different. It was something that they liked the quality of the art on and they liked the overall fun concept of. But mm -hmm. we're, com we're competing against, you know, every fantasy book or every book that Image has on their slate in that same regard. So mm -hmm. it's a fun competition. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think it's a friendly competition. It's not like I'm out for blood or anything. I think there's room for everybody. So, how does it work at Image for, like, uh, do they help you guys with the international distribution and uh, other languages and stuff? Uh, they have a rights person who deals with publishing in other languages. Okay. So, um, yeah, they, they have a, a particular person that you forward along the names to. So, they don't, they're not necessarily going out actively selling the stuff. Okay. Uh, but if a publisher approaches you from a, for foreign language rights, then they will negotiate the deal and, and work with you on that. So okay. That that's sense. my impression anyways. I'm sure 
you know, for books like The Walking Dead, that's not much of an issue. But yeah, yeah. So we've had some interest, and we're you know we've been talking to a couple foreign publishers, but nothing to report yet. But it's still, it's cool. That's you know when you can get to that point, I think it's pretty ideal because you're literally you know you hand over the files and they cut you a check and great you know, <laughs> stuff. That's the way it should be. That's yeah, um, got a question for you. Speaking of uh, like foreign artists, uh, yeah. I've I've always felt maybe it's because I was reading mostly the Street Fighter stuff that Udon had this house style right that was almost Asian like. Yeah, well, I mean they're called Udon. Like yeah, the, the, a lot of the original artists are uh, are Asian, and okay. so. And the love of, of anime and stuff definitely comes through everything that the studio does. That's one of the reasons why, by the way, uh, Skull Kickers is published at Image as opposed to published at Udon. I'm sure I could have done the book there, but I think it's a better fitted image. It's not, the art style isn't really anime influenced. It's colorful and it's animated in a lot of ways, <laughs> but it's not necessarily anime. Okay. And so I think as a brand, it fits better at Image than it does Uh, if it was a new Don book, and that was a very conscious choice on my part. Interesting. So I guess yeah, it's oh, go ahead. Herb. Yeah. Well, a lot of those artists are from Toronto, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, a bunch of us. Uh, like I'm, I'm originally from Oshawa, and it's sort of we've we've kind of territory like covered Toronto. So there's a couple guys now living in Mississauga. There's a dude living in Burlington. There's I live downtown. Uh, Eric, the head of the company, is in Richmond Hill. Like. We're all over the greater Toronto area. And now we have artists all over the world. Like some of them have moved away and some of them are just uh, foreign artists that we picked up. So we have an artist in Chile. We have uh, a painter who's in Norway. Wow. Uh, we have artists in Korea and Hong Kong. Um, but, the, but the actual office is here in Toronto. Uh, Dan, were you going to say something? Because I've got another question for you. Uh, no, I just want to say that I uh, I managed to be the only um, person in the United States on the podcast again. <laughs> oh, Canada's awesome. There's nothing wrong yeah. with that. <laughs> no, but go ahead. Um, well, I guess one of the questions, I guess, um, how's, the, how's the comic vibe in Toronto? And the fact that um, most people in Toronto were born outside of Canada... Uh, does that add to the flavor, the mix uh, at Udon? Like, are they like Canadian Canadians or, or first Canadian, generation Canadian. or second generation? I think, I think it's a real mix. I mean, some of them uh, were born outside the country, but other ones have pretty much grown up their entire adult life in, in Canada. So okay. I don't think it's... Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, your culture influences you, but... Most of us are, are are pretty Canadian as far as that goes, but we've always had a love of anime or video games, the Capcom style, and things like that that have that have bled into our our work. Um, the Toronto comic scene as a whole, not just talking Udon, but all the different creators that are here in Toronto, like there are tons of great comic artists, and you know Stuart Eminem lives here in Toronto, and uh, you know um, uh, Ray Fox is here. Cameron Stewart used to be; he moved to Montreal. You know, Carl Kershaw and all these different guys, they, you know, Ramon Perez and Calvin Androsovsky and Francis Panapol and, uh, like those are all Toronto guys. We all kind of hang out and, 
each other, like not all the time, but you know, people's birthdays and, and things like that, we're always kind of in a loop seeing each other now, which is really, it's cool. It's very, you know, someone has a book launch, we're all there kind of cheering each other on. That's uh, cool, man. I didn't even know that, uh, I didn't know anything about the uh, Toronto comic scene. Well, that you. <laughs> it's big. It's big. And there's a lot of big name creators now yeah. uh, that are here. And, uh, you know, uh, a lot of that stuff, um, it all sort of starts connecting together. You start seeing people group together and uh, the guys that do uh, Kill Shakespeare for IDW are here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's they're, awesome. They're Toronto based. Yeah, just more and more uh, the scene here is really good and, and there's a nice vibe and people are very, like I said, very supportive, uh, which is, you know, exactly what you want. So, mm. um, Is the scene a little bit different than the one like from Montreal or? I've never, uh, I'm going to have to admit, I have never been to Montreal. Oh my I god! Oh, I know. <laughs> yes, yeah, I've been there. It's six hours. <laughs> I know. I've never been to Montreal. Uh, I gotta actually get the contact for the guys that do the Montreal Comic Con because I would love to go. I know them. It's a beautiful be city, man. Of course, I yeah, know them. Oh, I know it is. Uh, I've been to Quebec City. I've been to Quebec. I've just never been to actually. Oh my god! Montreal. I know. <laughs> I know. So, so I have no Her, idea. Kirby's gonna take your. Canada card from you. <laughs> I know. I am. <laughs> uh, but yeah, hook me up with those guys. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll Have you been to Calgary at least? The show's in the show's in uh, September, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. I mean, and I mean, it, it's a big show that they have over there. I know. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, what was the show you're talking about? The the Calgary show. Um, well, have you ever been to Calgary? Oh yeah, I lived in Calgary for oh, uh, okay. a couple of years actually. Oh cool. Uh, One of my first jobs out of school was in Calgary when I finished art school. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, the guy that runs the, uh, Calgary Comic Expo. Yeah, Kendrick's. Close, yeah, Kendrick's a deep close personal friend of mine. He was like in my wedding party and stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, no, we're really. Yeah, he's a good guy. Oh, he's an amazing person. I mean, his, his, uh, business acumen mixed with his passion for, for what he does. It's the perfect mix. Is that, You know, you want people in this industry who are driven. You want people who are uh, capable, and he's both. And, yeah. Uh, that's all you could ask for. Yeah, no, I love the Calgary show, and uh, Kendricks and everyone involved is fantastic. Cool. Have you been to the show? Have you been to the Calgary show? I'm in Calgary. Oh, you're in Calgary. I am. <laughs> so when you said, we were talking so much about Montreal, you're ripping on me, I thought. No, well, okay. Originally, <laughs> I was from Montreal, obviously. <laughs> Obviously, I was from Montreal, uh, but I've been in Calgary for five years. In Montreal, my apologies. No, no, I've been in Calgary for five years, but all right, I am a francophone, obviously. Right. Uh, I think you probably noticed that quickly. Yes. <laughs> um, but no, I've been living in Calgary for five years, so that's why I know Kendrick so well. Uh, uh, I'm always at that show. I mean, I think the next one is probably in April or something. It's going to be amazing. I'm really excited about it. I'm, so, I've gone literally every year to the Calgary show. Oh, no. It's, well, I guess I'll see you again this year. Yeah, absolutely. So I've so, always got a piece in the charity book. Actually, I have to work on that tomorrow. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, no, I've, I'm always I'm always at the Calgary show. And they've been really, really good to us. And, and it's just an awesome, awesome show. So I guess another question. Would you say that the, the city in Vancouver, I mean, this year they're finally having a, a decent con. In Vancouver right. for the first time. Uh, do you think that the scene is different because of the animation industry who probably takes away all the good artists? 
I don't know, but I mean, it takes away. Here's the thing: I've noticed so many animators. I, I go to shows, and all these animators come over, and they go, "Man, I wish I was doing comics." And I look at their art, and I'm like, "And what's stopping you?" Like, you know, you, animation is super, super time intensive, and, and comics are super, super time intensive, and. But the skill set is very relatable. If you can do one, I think, you know, comics is not a, a, a far leap from what you're doing in animation. But uh, but seriously, you know, the more the merrier. And, and the animation industry is definitely easy. Not I don't want to say easy money because that's not the right term for it. But, you know, it's a safe money in that sense. Yeah, it pays a million. Yeah, it's available and you can get work in that field. But, you know, I... I that's my background was animation. That's what I went to school for. Sheridan? And I worked on some production stuff. Did you go to Sheridan? We'll say it again. Sheridan? Yeah, yeah, I went to Sheridan for oh, classical. And so um, you, you you realize that you're just a cog in the machine. Like, you know, you work on a production and your name goes flipping by on the credits at the very end of the show. And <laughs> and that's it. That's all That's all your, your real involvement is do the stuff, get paid, walk away. And that's fine, but, you know, after a certain point in time, I, uh, I definitely prefer working at the studio uh, where our designs or our illustrations are much more important or, you know, you're focusing on, on storytelling instead of just sort of the workman quality of cranking out footage. So, not that I have anything against animation. I absolutely love animation. And I know a lot of great people in the industry. I, I teach at Seneca College in Toronto in their animation program. Okay, cool. What do you teach over there? Uh, I'm currently teaching animation history oh, okay. and, and environmental drawing. Cool. So, yeah. That's awesome, man. <laughs> yeah, it's been really, really fun. And the students are amazing, and they inspire me, and they, they are super, super excited about everything. So even when I forget that things are cool, they very quickly remind me, <laughs> hey, what you're working on is really awesome. And you're like, oh, I guess it is better than I thought, you know. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. Yeah. I'm asking all those questions because, uh, uh, well, I guess in the past life, I used to be an animator also. In a past life? Yeah. How long ago was this? Uh, what, five years? Well, since, since I've been to Calgary, actually the first year I did tons of animation, the first year. Okay. Uh, and then I... Like CG or 2D? Uh, 2D, but uh, actually um, it was traditional, but... Uh, on flash so but okay. not, not the cheap flash not the cheap one not the cheap flash nice not the cheap <laughs> but, one um, did you go to sheridan no no i went to a school in montreal uh oh. doesn't exist anymore it's uh. been bought by someone else or something um but what um so it, it's traditional i mean some of that the stuff i did there towards the last few years was on the cintiq so it's actually just replacing the paper with the, the cintiq right and using flash and using a but like onion skin like techniques in Flash. Yeah, totally. Uh, which basically, I used to do it on paper and have the big scanner, the giant scanner, mm -hmm. um, and have to scan all of those and all the peg holes and all that stuff. And now uh, it's all changed. I know it's all changed. I, I talked to the students and I explained to them how I used to shoot everything on traditional film. I was in the last year at Sheridan where they shot things on 8mm film. Yeah. And they're just like, What? How, why would you do that? <laughs> well, that's like, a good well, skill. That's, I mean, that's it's a good skill to have it. anyway. I mean, you know. Yeah, it's I mean, a I can totally read a, different world now. I can read an exposure sheet and uh, all of that stuff, uh, layouts, cool stuff. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. yeah. But the, 
I guess you could say that maybe that's why I've got the comic book bin because I mean, you know, uh, I, I'm one of those animators never jumped. <laughs> so you haven't jumped over to, to comics yet? No, but I've got the comic book bin. <laughs> that's my excuse. <laughs> that's funny, right? So, but you haven't actually done like you haven't done your own comics yet. Nothing. I think one of the one of the most amazing things about comics as a whole is that you can tell a story with either just yourself or a very tight-knit little group of people. You don't need a studio worth of animators. You don't need special effects and productions. You don't need... You can make a comic story, and, and it, you know, I know some people just use them as proof of concept for, like, their movie pitches and crap like that. But Yeah, that annoys me, too. Well, it annoys me, too, trust me. <laughs> but, but the thing is that in terms of telling a story and getting it out, it's really lo-fi. Like, you can do it on your own. You don't need... The only thing holding you back is you and your craft and your, your, you know, tenacity and your, your practice. And I think that's one of the most amazing things about the comic book business. You can sign up for a table at a convention and you can be showing your artwork alongside at the same location as some of the biggest names in the industry. They're at another table and you're at another table. Like the, 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 the distance between you is not that far and it's still not that far, even as big as comics are and, you know, it doesn't matter that we're all making comics and we all love it and you can be a part of this. The only person that's <laughs> doing it is you, you know? I, I think the advancements in like um, software and stuff as well as really, uh, it, it, it's really brought the um, opportunity to create comics quickly and uh, quickly and professionally and I mean, professionally to professional like the, the average publishing. yeah yeah just to just to an average person can you know uh you know hone their craft on on something like manga studio or something like that you know well i think what blows my mind is that the, the you know the publishing quality of the software and the quality of the output the tutorials alone you know this is stuff that i like dark secrets like people wouldn't tell you how this stuff works <laughs> because you know, this yeah. was their livelihood. Yeah, and yeah. Now there's dozens and dozens of tutorials about it all over the place because yeah. everyone just, you know, gives their knowledge away because that's the way the internet is. That's what you do, man. <laughs> that's what you do. And so it is, it, it's a total game changer in terms of, you know, when people tell me they don't have time or they, you know, well, I've always wanted to create comics. And I say, well, you can. Well, oh, sure. But, you know, well, sure, you're not going to be you know, doing, like, but Robert Kirkman wasn't Robert Kirkman that you know of when he started. You know, he did three or four or five books before he had a hit. He did um, Battle Pope, and he did Tech Jacket, and he did... Astounding um, uh, Wolfman. Yeah, he did all sorts of different books. Like, I think people have this weird idea that the first book they do is going to be, got to be the one. And you're like, yeah. man... <laughs> There's no guarantee that Skull Kickers is going to live forever or that it's going to be massive. Uh, it's growing, and I think, you know, it has the ability to, to be something big and special. But, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. It's just about got to tell good stories, got to put out good stuff and see what happens. You know, John Lehman did a book at Image called Puffed, and uh, it was loved by a lot of people, but it didn't sell. And so he put it away and he did something else and he did something else and he did other work for higher stuff. And then eventually he did chew. And now that's the book he's going to be always known for. And that's, that's awesome. That's getting optioned by Showtime and all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah, exactly. Right. He's really kind of hit it big. huh? (laughs) Well, this is the thing though. There's this weird thing of, you know, I, I think above and beyond 
any media attention that it gets. You know, he's getting to tell the story he wants to tell. Exactly. The way he wants to tell it. And the fact that uh, there's people that want to adapt it and, you know, make sure that he's going to have a solid livelihood, even better. Like, that's that's just amazing. You know, that's totally all awesome. All right, yeah. I'm convinced. I'm convinced. You're convinced? What? I'll have to go back. Go back? I'm not trying to tell you what to do, man. No, no, no. I mean, uh, like everyone else, I've got a... I've got a box filled with stuff <laughs> of ideas yeah well and I, and I do too and this is one of the weird things now is sort of looking at it with a fresh set of eyes and kind of going what's what's viable what can i do what are these core concepts strong or or you know what is this so mm. well that's cool stuff so uh, you guys speaking of um you know, skull kickers is is uh kind of got a full head of steam going you guys yeah. just celebrated a, a milestone recently um with uh skullkickers.com i think yeah we what we started doing was we started serializing the comic online look you know i i it's funny it's like the big pink elephant in the room no one ever wants to talk about piracy or torrents or because <laughs> yeah, oh we what? we talk about it a lot <laughs> you mean people steal the stuff oh man do they have it right and the, and the thing is is i was noticing that you know Skull Kickers torrents were really popular and the book, you know, sales had leveled off and I was like, geez, the people will enjoy this. There is an audience out there, but they don't know it exists or they can't find the stuff. So look, the back issues have sold out. You can't find most of them even if you wanted to. And no. so you can't get on board. Even if I try and convince you to buy one of the value price trades, which is a great deal, you get five issues for 10 bucks. If you don't know anything about Skull Kickers, even convincing you to spend 10 bucks is almost impossible because you have no attachment to it. So, But what if I lent you the back issues? What if I got you hooked? And so the idea is we're going to serialize it five days a week. So it's basically monthly. But, you know, you're like a year behind the current issue. And if you like it, at any moment, you can get caught up. You can buy the trades. You can buy the digital issues. You can put it on your poll list at your local comic shop, and uh, we're waiting for you, and we want you to, to enjoy it. And so we started serializing online, um, well, it's now just over six weeks ago, and in our first month, we had half a million page views from over uh, 40,000 different unique visitors. Wow. So that's like more than five times our print audience for our monthly issues. Have now taken in, you know, the first issue of Skull Kickers. Do I think they're all going to buy it? No, of course not. And some of them may never spend a dime on us. But the reality is, they're more aware of it. They know that we exist. They're they're taking it in. And if they see me at a convention, maybe they'll come over and buy a book. Or at some point, they get a big enough laugh and they find it enjoyable enough that I can convince them to to order one of the trades. Or or maybe they just chip in a, a few cents because of the ad banners that run on the site. So you throw a couple pennies in my jar, but those add up because of so many people. Great. You know, that's kind of the, kind of the thing, you know, even since then, we've now over, uh, since, since that announcement of those stats, um, we are now at over 52,000 uniques, unique visitors. That's awesome. You know? Yeah. It's amazing. It, it's, that's, I mean, that's, that's super uh, innovative. It's, it's like genius. It's not yeah. the guys. Penny <laughs> Arcade's been doing this for over ten years. 
I don't. But if you, like, if you pitch something like this to like Marvel or DC, they'd be like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> you know? I, don't, I don't understand why Marvel and DC don't have web comics of the biggest characters in the world yeah. running, and then just run advertising for it. Like if there was a Batman web comic done by top quality talent, everyone would read it. Everyone would read it, especially mm-hmm. with a movie coming out, right? Yeah. And then you just broker those people into buying video games and buying toys and buying books and buying Batman stuff. Like, that's how I do it. Well, I think it's coming. Um, well, but... I think it will someday when they're dragged shotgun to the wedding, right? But, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but that's the same thing with digital publishing. All these companies are basically thinking that digital publishing is the devil instead of realizing, you realize that's the entire world on there. That's the whole world. You know, well, I talked to some other creators when I, when I was, before we announced Skull Kickers was going to start serializing online, I had a small mailing list of maybe 20 creators, image creators and other independent creators. And I said, I'm doing this. And some of them were like, oh man, you're crazy. I'm like, I'm, I'm crazy. I like, you do realize that, that everyone is online. Every yeah. single person who has a dollar <laughs> that they would give you is on the huh. internet. So it's this new internet thing you speak yeah, of. <laughs> you know, so, so I'm, I'm not even trying to shut off the retailers. I want the retailers to sell more of my books because yeah. more people know I exist. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. do you think Kate Beaton is hurt by the fact that she serializes Harka Vagrant online? No, she's yeah, a New yeah. York Times bestselling author exactly. because everyone knows of how great her book is and everyone discovered it and read it online. Well, that's, it's, that's one of the things I think like, um, the, the average comic book uh, reader, like like me, I I enjoy downloading free digital comics because I get to read something that I'm not reading, um, you know, normally. And if I like it, then I can pick it up in print. You know, that's what I do. I I pick up just about everything in print um, if if I'm sold on it. And, and I think that's generally what happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And here's the thing: is that you know you can sit there and you can gnash your teeth and you can freak out. Or you can say, this is the way it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Would I be happier if every single person that ever flipped a page of Skull Kickers gave me money? Yes, I would. I'm not mm-hmm. going to lie. But, <laughs> but this is real life now. And above and beyond what we would all like, I would like a pony. I would like winning lottery <laughs> numbers. This is yeah. what's going on. So I can either get in, you know get on the train or I can get in front of it. But I mean, even serializing Skull Kickers for free. I mean, that's there's a there's an opportunity to make you know a, a certain. I don't I don't want to talk um, too much business, <laughs> but like there's a certain you can track the um, the ads that you have on the page and yeah, right. uh, you know uh, make money uh, just from the the different IPs and stuff that are. Uh, well, there's all sorts of different opportunities there to understand the exact demographic information of who is reading your book. So right now, I know if I was going to do a book signing, where I would organize my tour. Because I can geographically break it down and go, I have more readers here than anywhere else. So yeah. I'm going to have more bang for my buck if I go to this part of North America. True. <laughs> That's just valuable information to me, incredibly valuable stuff, right? Yeah. Yep. You know, uh, let alone the fact that I can interact directly with fans, let alone the fact that, you know... We've got this content and people are discovering it. You know, obviously I hope that it has a direct effect on our new story arc in terms of issue sales. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I just, it's a, it's an experiment and I, I don't, 
don't see how it can possibly hurt our sales. You know, no. someone yeah. is if someone is has read all of our issues and enjoyed them, I don't think they're going to go. What they're serializing content that's a year old. Well, they obviously don't want my dollar. You know, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> crazy. Like, you know, and we haven't had a single negative. I'm, you know, knock on wood, right? I haven't had retailers freaking on me. I haven't had anything. Everyone's been pretty cool so far. That's, I mean, that's the thing is uh, everybody's worried about retailers. And, um, you know, maybe there is something to that argument. But, you know, when the Kindle and the Nook came out, I think Barnes & Noble, you know, really, uh, they had a great business model in the first place, I guess. You know, borders suffered, but it was because they didn't get behind the whole, you know, uh, digital book thing in the first place yeah yeah totally i you know i I see a lot of a lot of people gnashing their teeth and freaking out and just basically saying well this is the end of everything and they're like well you know okay then something new's coming like you you can (laughs) yeah i'm not saying that that i'm that i'm happy i wish i knew where it was all going Mm -hmm. but i think that the the only thing that i can tell you for sure is expecting it to stay the same is not the answer or or you know Hold, gripping, holding on, and desperately saying, "Well, we'll stop those pirates," or "We'll, you know, oh, <laughs> right." Because if Paramount can't stop them, you know, I'm I'm sure IDW and Image will be able to stop them. Like, come on, <laughs> it's just it's, it's ludicrous, right? Yeah. So the most important thing for us to do is to win people's minds and win people's that they love the work and that they want to personally support the creators. That's where creator-owned comics have got an edge, you know, is that if I'm reading this and you know that I'm an individual or a small team of, of people putting together this book and you can directly help me, I mean, look at Kickstarter, right, all those different uh, crowd-surfing models, that you're, you're not just giving money to a faceless corporation, this is about me, this is about my livelihood and my dreams and my creation, and you like it, so... Let's play. Like, you know, give me yeah. the chance to do more of this thing that you love. And and it happens. People get behind it. Get behind it to a, to a really impressive degree. Mm. So. And that's me from the pulpit. <laughs> preaching on high. As um, a creator-owned dream. <laughs> well, we're not going to preach about piracy anymore or... Are you, are you sick of talking about piracy? <laughs> um, I think the only thing that that I when people tell me, uh, um, I, I don't know how to say this nicely, so I'll just say it. When people tell me I'm really smart, oh man, that's so innovative. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, actually, I'm playing catch up with Penny Arcade and PVP and mm-hmm. all these guys who have been doing it, who everyone thought was stupid ten years ago, and now realize <laughs> it was the smartest people in the room. That that, that every web comic artist that has a loyal following. Rich Burlew doing Order of the Stick raises a million dollars on Kickstarter because he's built a loyal, loyal, loyal audience over the last nine years yeah. because those people feel like they have a direct influence on, on the state of his work and his career. That guy's the smartest guy in the room. Everyone else is an idiot, you know? And that's mm-hmm. that's the reality of it. And, and if you don't think so now, you will because... You know, that's the way the model's going. People want to support great work, and they want to support great work directly, and if you give them the ability to do it, they'll do it. So I feel like I'm playing catch-up. 
And so when people tell me I'm being rebellious or I'm being radical or I'm being smart, I, I feel like a turtle. I wish I would have done this, you know, years ago. That's interesting. So. Wow. Um. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of, so you that's, took all the air out of the room, man. Dan, <laughs> <Okay. laughs> um, uh, well... Jim, please don't <laughs> mind us too much, but uh, is there anything we need to talk about, about that's happening in comics this week or anything like what that? Do you, what do you guys think about the, um, I guess, uh, before Valiant? Well, you were talking about you bought all the image books back in 92. Right. Were you were you on board with uh, Valiant back then, too? I wasn't a Valiant guy. No. Oh, really? Guy. Oh. Yeah, never, I never read any of the Valiant books. Like, I mean, I knew they existed, and I, I'm sure I read a few of them, but I never collected any of them. Wow. Honestly and truly, yeah, I feel some sometimes awkward. <laughs> well, some, you know, a lot, a lot of books. Sometimes you'll be like, "Oh man, I remember reading X," and I was like, "I never read that. I don't know." I they're just like, "What? How could you have missed the seminal work of whatever?" And I'm like, "I'm sorry. I was a kid. I didn't have good taste." You know? No, yeah, that's. I'm still <laughs> like, I hate to say that I'm still like catching up on trades of like Neil Gaiman's Sandman and stuff. You know, because oh, yeah. that stuff was that stuff was out. You know, like. What, 87? I was uh, one year old, I think. <laughs> I didn't understand quality. I was just yeah. trying to spell. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, it's been fascinating finding, you know, discovering series that I hadn't read before and now can appreciate more fully or have a different look at, you know, years and years later. You know, I used to be one of those guys where the more detailed, the better. So if you, you put four billion lines on the page, you must be the hardest working guy in comics. <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll support you. I'll buy everything you do because you draw detail and I wish I could draw detail. So someone like Mike Mignola, I'd be like, what is this? What is this guy? What is he doing? You know, now I'm a huge fan and freak out everything the guy does because there's such beautiful simplicity and elegance and composition and storytelling and all these things. But at the time, I didn't know. I didn't know what the hell I was looking at. You didn't know any better. <laughs> I didn't know. It was genius. <laughs> you, did, you had Jim Lee on one hand, and you had Mike Mignola on the other. Jim's incredibly skilled. Like, it's yeah. funny, because I think that there's a place for that stuff, too. Yes. But yeah, I, I just totally cut myself off from this entire avenue of storytelling and, and style. You know, that, that for some reason, that was less worthy than the other. But, I, you know, you're a kid, and so there's this sense of you're just looking purely at rendering or, or whatever, you know? And that's more rendered than that, so that must be better, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, begging the question, I guess. Which art is better? Well, this one has more lines on the page, so... <laughs> no, I know that sounds really puerile, but when you're a kid, man, that seems totally reasonable. Yeah. No, I totally get that. I think I was probably the same way. But, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the new... The, Valiant stuff, I think, um, well, now would be a perfect time for you to get on board with Valiant. Yeah, I think totally, it's right? Some awesome creators. I mean, uh, Robert Vendetti and Joshua Dysart. Um, well, I'm friends with uh, Carrie Nord, so I'm told. Totally Carrie right. Nord, too. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Awesome. He's doing something? Yeah, he's, he's doing, doing, he's doing Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, Carrie's awesome. I love this Conan stuff. It was just freaking amazing. Yeah, that was amazing. He's, like, built for that book. Well, well, Exo Man of War was kind of Conan with the an armor. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Man. I'm really curious to see how this stuff comes together. I think it's just a really fun time for great books. You know, I'm excited oh. about the future in general. So, yeah. 
My uh, favorite was uh, Archer and Arm- Armstrong, so... Yeah, they just announced that, didn't they? Yeah, today, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Bloodshot yesterday, which... Uh, they haven't announced the uh, creative teams on those books, so I've been trying to decipher who could have drawn those images. <laughs> uh, well, I, you know, it'd be nice to see if they get some get some new voices in there, too. That would be cool. I think it yeah. would just gain some new people that you've never seen before. That's always nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's funny because I mean, uh, I mean, we're talking about image renaissance, mm-hmm. but at the same time, way back, I mean, as image was like, like exploding, mm-hmm. Valiant was also like coming up, coming around yeah, at the same but, time. Yeah, but both of those were predicated on you know, wizard wizard's strength of their ability to sort of guide people's taste. Where yeah. wizard was saying, "These are the hottest books that you're not reading," <laughs> exactly. and everyone said, "Really." Oh my god, and they all just sort of ran out and bought whatever these guys said. Not to say that they weren't some great books, because there were, but there were some real dogs in there that they were just like, well, they bought a lot of advertising, so we're going to run this <laughs> like it's the greatest thing ever. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wizard. Oh, wizard. I remember that. <laughs> it's like the, that's a subject and a half. Oh, wizard. Yeah, yeah. We don't miss it. No, I don't really. I mean, well, I, I feel like I kind of miss um, the old wizards that were super thick and had the huge price, price guys. guys. Yeah, 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 the huge price guys in the back. And the every single wizards. comic book store followed it. And basically, yeah. well, it's now worth $10. Yeah, wizard. wizard We've never sold one at this store, but it's worth $10. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wizard says this two-month-old book is worth $10, so. Yeah. <laughs> No, their, their, their prices were astronomical, but at the same time, it was cool to see, you know, what things in your collection might be worth. Or... Oh, sure. Well, I, there was a fun aspect to it. The only thing that was crazy, of course, was the, I'm going to buy five copies. Yeah. Uh, oh, the yeah. company's ludicrously thinking, well, you know, they, they didn't, I mean, they knew on some conceivable level that those weren't readers. They were just copies, mm-hmm. but that they never thought it would end. You know, well, I'm sure we'll keep selling 300,000 of, of this book no one's reading. Yeah. Well, that's what kind of led to the, uh, the, 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 the comic book bubble then, you know, towards the oh, end of the absolutely. 90s. And, you know. um, but yeah, is it any wonder that Wizard went out of business when it was, uh, you know, kind of like a um, Entertainment Weekly analog towards the end with like a nerdy twist? <laughs> well, I just, you know, I think it, I think, the, the most difficult thing with all of it is that it didn't it didn't have a clear understanding of what it was anymore, and it, it wasn't the taste maker. So you know, it just yeah it became what it became. Yeah. Well, there's also the the part which interests me the most: uh, uh, the whole comic book news, the way it changed. Also. Oh sure, because why the heck would you buy a magazine when exactly. the internet you were going to get that news faster, better? And from, cheaper. <laughs> and from 20 different sources, too. Yeah. Although the only thing is the comic book news, well, what passes for comic book journalism nowadays is a whole other mess of fish, right? Like yeah, I think there's definitely. real problems with the fact that you have such an intense, I mean, it's amazing that there's such an intense love and fan, you know, fandom. The problem being, of course, when, well, let me pull this back a little bit. So, in the movies, you have people that, that review movies and they love the movie industry and they report on the movie industry, but they, they're not all want to be filmmakers. Yes. Yes. And the problem with comics journalism is just about every single person writing about comics would rather be making comics. 
growing excited about comics. There are almost no pure comic journalists doing comic journalism. So the, the discourse and the critique and the ability to discuss these things is lost. Because if in your heart of hearts, you don't want to piss someone off or you want to get the, the social contacts to make your own comics, then you're not really discussing the merits of the material. You're leveraging social connection. It's funny that you say that because we have that debate at the bin all the time. And, oh, totally. Uh, I mean, you know, and, and, and that's, I think, going to be, if the, if the, the industry can mature and actually have some real discourse and have some real discussion of, of content, then I think it's going to be more healthy for it. And well, if it just continues to wind into this navel-gazing hole of, well, if you gave me the chance to do a comic, I'd drop everything in an instant, because that's my real dream for most of these journalists, then then that's just going to continue, you know, uh, that, that every single, you know, person doing this stuff is just a creator in waiting instead of an actual reporter. Well, there's the same issue also in the, in terms of uh, the comic book publishers themselves and editors and so on and people. Oh, of course, the, the editors. You know, an editor that's a that's a disgruntled wish they were writer or whatever may yeah. have you, right? Like, here's the thing. You know, when you're reading Rolling Stone, I don't think that when the guy interviews Bon Jovi after they finish the interview, he goes, "Hey, will you check out my demo tape?" <laughs> like, I just don't. I don't yeah. think that happens. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> But I don't think that happens. But I can't tell you the number of people that have interviewed me or talked to me. And the very next day, I'll get an email where they say, "Will you pass along my book to Eric Stevenson? <laughs> or what do you yeah. think of my comics?" I can promise like, you one thing: it's exactly. not happening tonight. Yeah, that's exactly what Hervé and I were going to do. God damn well, it! That's <laughs> not happening. Cut you off this whole. Window. No, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Trust me, it's not happening because we've had those debates so many, so many times. Those discussions. <laughs> But, but, and, and, you know, I can't even begrudge someone. Like, I'm not, I understand that you're trying to use every tool in your toolbox or whatever and that you want to do this. And I wanted to do it and I, you know, whatever. But I just think that there's a certain point in time where if you reviewed my book and you gave me a top review and then I told you, actually, I think your comic is kind of poo. Like, mm -hmm. now what do we talk about? Like, now do you want to review my book anymore? No. Are we, you know, What's the discussion now? This is awkward, right? Like, and so that's something that I've, I've been finding really bizarre, honestly, is, is interacting with people on that level of them sort of saying, you know, I, I'm kind of like a favor for a favor type thing. Like they're like, is. the only reason I reviewed you that way was so that you sold and my book. And that not be true at all. So it could totally yeah. be someone no. come from a, from a point of view of, They love this work and they respect what I'm doing and they yeah. need to have my feedback. Okay. And that's totally valid, right? So I yeah. can't sit there from on high and say that, that uh, you know, how dare you or whatever. I think it yeah. comes from a, a good place and I think it comes from a, a, a well-meaning place. Hmm. But it can create a hell of a lot of awkwardness. I'm going to say something. I, I guess I must be the most clueless person in the room or something. <laughs> Because I've never done that any, 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 at any time. Why do you think that that's a bad thing? I mean, I, no, it's I, not. I, it's not bad. It's just that I feel so clueless. Really? <laughs> I actually give real, like when I give a five out of ten, 
yeah. I don't give a damn about the other person. I just give him a five. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you grade uh, things on what you like, which is probably how you're supposed to do that. Well, it should be right. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Uh, but you know, sometimes I'll read reviews where it's like the reviewer literally says. 20 things wrong with the issue, and then they'll go, well, but I love these creators, so, you know, I'll give them a 7 out of 10, and you're just like, <laughs> okay, you know, just because it was incompetent and incomprehensible, we can't take the points off for that. That's <laughs> just, just weird <laughs> Incomprehensible, stuff. but 7 out of 10. <laughs> yeah, exactly, you know, but I'm sure, it'll, I'm sure it'll get better, because I love whatever character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. That, that's, <sighs> yeah. that's a cool discussion, I mean, uh, For me, because uh, I must. But at this really... moment, when people are listening to this podcast, they're basically starting to sharpen their knives now for their skull. <laughs> they're going to be like, "Oh, that's up. He thinks he's good, too good for us." <laughs> you, know, you know, it's it's something strange because I feel like it's it's like an it's a naivety towards the industry. I feel like there's not as much as I hate the um, uh, Puritan value system of uh, you know the Americas. Uh, I feel like a lot of that um, Puritan work ethic is gone, where you're like, okay, as long as I do my best, somebody's going to notice it, and they're going to pick me up and give me a job. Now it's just like, as soon as I find a contact, I'm going to shove my work in their face and say, can you please give me a job? You know, you got to give me a shortcut, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, that, like you said, that's that's a generalization that's not true... No, and, and the reality is, is that to most people who are looking at, you know, Jim's up the creator, and they go, wow, where did Skull Kickers come from? And I can say, well, I've been doing comic book related kind of stuff for eight years. Yeah. And this was my first chance to do my own thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've, I've been around. Like, the, I, I learned how to do stuff. I learned what not to do. I learned how all these things work. And now finally I'm doing my own book. And to a lot of people, this is the first time they've heard of me. And so to them, it's sort of like, Oh man, why? So like you came out of nowhere. Pretty much. Yeah. You know, the, the, the joke they always use is the 10 year overnight success. Right. And I mean, <laughs> yeah. nothing, you know, I, I wouldn't even consider us a big success. We're just, we're a creator on book and image and we're doing pretty good and we're having a lot of fun. And, You know, I think Edwin's the overnight success. I think he's the one that's popped out of nowhere because this he's is... He's tons of work, man. He literally was working on the first issue of Skull Kickers while he was working on final school assignments. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, he, you know, he's really young and he, this is his first work and he's rocking brains. Mm. Yeah, he's, he's the real talent here. I'm the old fart who's just been rolling around in the, in the dust, <laughs> dustbin until I finally got my shot. So... so Um, I wanted to bring back to another topic, which, um, uh, Dan, you're probably familiar with that one, obviously. Um, the, the series that, uh, while the comic book bin was away for kind of, uh, two or three weeks for the podcast. Um, yeah, we actually have a lost podcast now. There is a lost podcast, <laughs> but Andy won't give it. I mean, well, Andy thinks it's not perfect. It's not good enough. I'm, I'm going to have to yeah. force it. It wasn't, it. it wasn't very good. It was me going, uh, uh, <laughs> for, <laughs> right. for about 45 minutes. Um, meanwhile, I was somewhere in Asia discovering new comics. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I just, just want to discuss, uh, an important, it's not a discovery, but, 
I, something just dawned on me and I really want to discuss it because it's important for, for comic book, what's called sequential art. Um, it was the the Ramayana, oh boy, not easy to pronounce, mural uh, in Bangkok in the Grand Palace. And that's considered the longest painting in the world. Right. So it's a painting, there's 178 um, panels, I guess you could call them, telling a, a, an ancient uh, Hindu story, which has been kind of adapted for Buddhist. Uh, and this is part of the the Grand Palace in Bangkok. So it's part. It, it was uh, the creation of those uh, paintings was influenced was well uh, by the Ramas, various Ramas in the past. The Ramas are kings in uh, Thailand. And when I did some research before I was gonna go to Thailand, I realized this is a comic book. This is not a. This is not just a painting. This is actual. <laughs> this is sequential art. This is right. a comic book. So. One of my mission going over there was to actually take pictures and and look at it and figure out is this a comic book is this sequential art? Obviously, the answer was yes, which is why the article is right there. Um, it's fun for me. That's the kind of things I, I like to discover and the type of work I'd like to do. I, I actually like to do. Um, it's as you were discussing a, a little bit earlier. It's doing the craft of comic book journalism, but just for the craft of doing it, not for... Obviously, writing an article about the Ramayana is not going to get me a job. a lot of play, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't picture any of the Ramayana? <laughs> uh, actually, Liquid Comics did one already. Oh, really? Yeah, but they did it as a comic book. They didn't do it... Well, I mean, they, they didn't do it like in a mural type of context. So this thing is 178 uh, paintings all over the place, and it tells a big story. Uh, it's actually quite cool to look at. It, it's beautiful, and, and there's so many details in there. Uh, one of my goals is to find a, some kind of publisher. I'm pretty sure, I mean, they've, they've printed books where you can find all of the different paintings explaining everything, what's happening. Uh, but I think, I mean, there's similar type of art, like the, the Trajan's Column in Rome and so on. That are comic books, and it's it's always fun because it takes a it feels like it takes a while before those things are accepted by the comic book people as well, actual comic get, books. You know, everyone gets sort of married to a certain format or a certain presentation. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But I mean, for a site like the Bin, our real, I mean, our real mission is to cover comics. That means that mural over there. That's exactly what we're supposed to be covering, not just uh, the latest Batman issue. I mean, that, yeah, yeah. whatever. <laughs> so so next week I'm going to do a, a, an article on Masaccio's uh, tribute money <laughs> and Renaissance uh, well, why <laughs> sequential not? narratives. Why not? <laughs> I think one of the coolest things about, uh, you know, about the business now in the sense that uh, there's more exposure for comics as a whole. You know, there's generation of people that have grown up with comics and we've got all these movies coming out and all this great stuff is at least you can discuss it in circles that you couldn't have before. Yes. You know, like when my dad asked me what Watchmen is and actually cares, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of anything else, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. You know, and I kind of mind blowing when I, when, when I was able to go, Hey dad, uh, here's Watchmen. You watch mm-hmm. the movie. I mean, I know some people rag on the movie, but to me, I looked at it and I thought, they just made a three-hour-long R-rated Watchmen movie. What world am I living in? 
how is going on? How did that happen? You know, yeah, that is that is not, yeah, that did not seem humanly possible. So, well, in a lot of ways, it wasn't. <laughs> well, yeah, but I, but I think it's I think it's an exciting time in terms of the medium, as far as that goes. That that people are hungry for the material that you can get work out there, you know, and it doesn't just have to be superheroes, and it doesn't just have to be uh, through the traditional channels, the traditional means. I think there's all sorts of great stuff going on. Yeah. Well, for for me, I mean. I personally think that there's probably more opportunities online. Uh, people just need to figure out a way of putting all those comics in one place that people can discover them. Uh, that's a problem. But I mean, a lot of people actually read web comics all the time. Oh, of course. I mean, the web, the more people read Penny Arcade than Justice League. Yeah. Let's be honest with ourselves, you know? Mm. So as much as I love those characters and as much as you know, superhero books define my youth and, and still are a big part of what I love, you know, uh, what the future is or where people are going to find those books. It's all still up in the air, you know? Yeah, I, like you said, Irving, there's a... Oh, man, I'm yeah. really bothered by the resources for <laughs> finding web comics. you know? There's a... Well, there's a lot. There's, there's too many. Go ahead. There's too many of them. I mean, there's a lot of them. The problem is yeah. people need to figure out a way of getting the good ones. Uh. <laughs> well, the the good thing is the natural sort of filter of of links getting passed around or people recommending. That's yeah, sort of yeah. the ultimate. You know, when your friend tells you this thing is great, then you've already gone through a filter. You yeah. know, the taste filter of whatever. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then you know, there's. There's thousands of web comics that just slip through the cracks, you know, for every good one that you're reading. Yeah, and, uh, exactly. It just gets lost in the shuffle. It's kind of sad to think about, I guess. <laughs> well, it's, I guess, there's a marketing part, too. I mean, yeah. yeah, just like everything else, you've got to, you know, you've got to let people know that you're, that you exist. And so part of that is whether it's being at a convention or promoting your stuff online, all these different uh, tools at your disposal. But it's easier than it's ever been to put your work out, you know, and to have people be able to discover it. Well, there's certainly not the barrier of uh, getting published through Diamond or something like that. I mean, that no, that's... exactly, exactly, and in, and in many ways, you know, having a successful webcomic makes it possible. Diamond and all these other systems will take you seriously because if you come to them and say, "I have an audience that's this big," why would they not, you know, yeah. want to run your book? What's well, I think successful webcomics also have a. a pretty good chance of getting picked up by, you know, Onai and um, IDW, like Activate uh, put out their primer um, a couple of years ago, but they they were kind of like uh, a Penny cart, penny Arcade type um, thing, and, uh, you know, they, they had a huge audience. They actually, you know, Dean Hasfield is one of, um, has several projects on there and stuff, so they have some big name uh, creators, um, but yeah, once you have an audience... You know, the sky's the limit, it seems like. Yeah, totally. And and what what that audience's expectations are, you know, are different from what necessarily a published book, uh, uh, a book publisher would want. But it doesn't matter. So, you know, XKCD, one of the most popular comics on the web, is, mm-hmm. is math joke comics with stick figures. Yeah. Couldn't pitch that book to anyone. <laughs> no publisher would put money into that. 
Yeah. They wouldn't have believed in that concept, but it doesn't matter what they think. What matters is that an audience showed up for it. Exactly, yep. I would like to see what a, uh, what like a trade of that <laughs> would look like. <laughs> Dinosaur Comics is the same comic every day, visually. Yeah. Right? Just the, the dialogue written by yeah. Brian is absolutely hilarious. But you couldn't <laughs> pitch that thing. Yeah. Not, but now, you know, Ryan does what he wants to do, so. It's great. Yep. It's the way it should be. Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, like you said, it, to, to say that, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait this out and just, you know, ignore all the digital stuff, all the webcomic stuff, and ride out the, <laughs> the internet, you know, like it's gonna go away or something is. The internet's a fad, of course. You know. Yeah. That's definitely a fallacy. I mean, it's like uh, the the new wave of uh, conceptual innovation and stuff is going to come from the internet and from web comics and other stuff. So, and it's yeah. not to say that that there's no place for print because ever like I think having print books, I think having retailers is really important. I think having these books out there is really important. I think that that all these models reinforce each other. And none yeah. of them have to die for the other ones to live. Exactly. Having options is great. And I think yeah. um, competition, you know, breeds success on everybody's part, too. So that's why there's, uh, you know, gas stations on every corner of a uh, intersection. <laughs> yeah, I just think that the more everyone has different ways for taking in content. And if you give them the options, then they'll take the ones that work for them. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yes. So, so, do you want to? Yeah, Jim. I guess before we you leave us, uh, what's uh, where can people uh, see you next, and um, what's coming up for you in terms of uh, comics that we need to pick up? Um, I've got a lot of stuff on the go, actually. Um, so I've got uh, in April on April fourth, um, the weekend before that, actually, I'm at Emerald City Comic Con, and we're going to be launching uh, Skull Kicker's Treasure Trove which is basically volume one and two of the trade in a really nice oversized hardcover with bonus material. So if you buy that, you're all caught up. And the same day, April 4th, you can get issue 13. So you can basically get caught up and then continue the story with the first part of Six Shooter on the Seven Seas. Um, a month later, at uh, the Toronto Comic Arts Festival, I'm launching, and in stores the week after, is uh, Makeshift Miracle, my graphic novel through Udon, the first volume which is called The Girl from Nowhere, and I'm really excited about that. So you can read um, Skull Kickers at SkullKickers.com. You can read Makeshift Miracle at MakeshiftMiracle.com. Um, you can follow my blog at Zubkovich.com or find me on Twitter at JimZub. And uh, I've got uh, other projects on the go. I'm working with Namco, the video game company. Yep. Nice. Uh, they're doing, uh, here we go, webcomics. So what they're doing is they're basically taking old intellectual property, stuff that's like 20 years old, and they're trying to refresh them and see if they can find a new audience. And creating a video game is expensive. Creating, uh, uh, you know, animation is expensive. So they're going to comics and they're going on the web. So I, we're I, doing I have heard of that. So that's, yeah. that's cool. So I'm writing the launch title called Sky Kid, which is based on a game from 1985. And it's all about these bird pilots in biplanes. So I'm writing this sort of alternate world war one with these animals and critters and, and cool stuff. And it's just, it's like doing an old adventure serial, uh, comic strip. And it's just been an absolute blast. 
if that does well, then I've got a couple other pitches in with them for other properties at Namco, and they've been really cool. Um, I've got a work for hire book that's going to be announced probably in about a month that's coming out that I can't say anything about. Can so you I've say been what publisher it's from? Or? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's coming out from Dynamite. That's all I can oh, say. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, cool. yeah, they've been cool so far, so that's cool. Uh, I'm doing a slew of conventions this summer and uh, promoting my stuff and, and just cranking away. Cool. That's awesome, man. Are you coming to uh, San Diego this summer? Or? I, 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 I'm a lifer, yeah. I've been going to San yeah. Diego for the past 10 years, so awesome. I'll be there again this year. Um, I'll see you there. I'll see you there with my pitch. <laughs> oh, awesome! <laughs> see, now we're buddies. It's no problem. Yeah, no, yeah, uh, exactly. You know, seriously, I'll be. I'm not sure if I'm going to be at the image table. I will be at the Udon booth for part of the time. I'm going to be at uh, Namco's booth. I'm sure doing signing for the the Sky Kid stuff. Um, yeah, I haven't decided if I'm setting up an image yet or how that's going to work. I'm going to be at a slew of shows. I'm going to be at uh, Calgary Comic Expo, Emerald City Comic Con. I'm going to be at WonderCon. I'm going to be at a show in Penn State called Wildcat Con. I'm going to be at Gen Con this year, San Diego Comic Con. Um, both PAX shows with Udon, so I'll be at PAX East and PAX Prime. Are you doing I'll Fan be, Expo? Uh, which one, sorry? Fan Expo? Yeah, I'm at Fan Expo. It's the hometown show. So Yeah, I'll be at Fan Expo. Uh, and I'll be at Gen Con, the big Dungeons & Dragons show. Cool. We had a blast there last year with Skull Kickers. That's awesome, I bet. Seems like a good demographic. Yeah, well, we're actually teaming up with Steve Jackson Games to do Skull Kickers Munchkin, the car uh-huh. game. Nice, yeah. So that's going to be out in time for Gen Con, so I'm super, super pumped about that. Uh, that's badass, man. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be a really fun summer. All right, so, uh, Dad, you want to end this? or? Yeah, I think so now that we've solved comics. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everything's fixed now. We should fill it in somebody's doors, man. Yeah, yeah. Comics are done. What's the next industry? Yeah, let's go to film now. It's great chatting with you guys. Yeah, thanks for joining us. It was uh, it was really great having you on, and uh, I hope we get to talk to you again soon. And um, uh, we'll keep everybody updated on release dates for your stuff. And uh, yeah, uh, have a great one. And This is Dan and Herve and uh, Jim's up signing off. We'll see you next week. All right. Bye.